Betting Preview Podcast from Pregame.com. Pregame.com. Broadcasting straight from the Las Vegas Strip. Vegas, baby. With your host, R.J. Bell. I saw him on ESPN. Can I call Marco Daddy? VR seems wild. Michigan State at Michigan. Marco, which batters be looking at? There'll be a lot of scoring in this game, RJ, but can Michigan State trade scores score for score with Michigan? That's what we're going to break down here. Michigan's going to get their touchdowns. My fear is Michigan State will go up and down the field, but they're going to have to settle for some field goals on their drives because the Michigan offense is a big play offense. I mean, with Denard Robinson, anytime he touches the ball, he can take it to the house. Michigan State is a more grinded up the field, move the chains, and wear you down type of offense. And if you get a penalty, a holding call or something, stalls a drive, you're settling for field goals. And as you're trading scores back and forth in a game, seven for three, eventually... You don't have to be a mathematician. No, you don't. And, and you bring up an interesting point, which is it's almost analogous to in baseball where they say you need great pitching because great pitching is going to shut down great hitting no matter what, and thus the given is there's not going to be a lot of runs scored, so you better have a pitcher. And I think that what you're saying is no matter how good Michigan State's defense is, and not saying it's great, Michigan's going to get their points. So to play against a team that's inevitably going to get their points, you've got to match them. And a team like a Michigan State that typically can play fundamentally sound, travel well, and all those things are going to win a lot of games. But this might be the kind of game that they're going to have trouble winning because of that score-matching factor. Absolutely. And to go to that Michigan State defense for a second, though, they did a great job last week with Wisconsin. But it was an emotional week last week. And we're going to see if that carries over this week. Last week, their head coach, I don't know if you know, at the end of the Notre Dame game, you know, he had chest pains after that game. They took him to the hospital, and he ended up, he, had, he suffered a mild heart attack. He was going to be back on the sidelines last weekend. How many heart attacks have you had? I haven't had one yet, but you keep working on it, I might. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think the over and under is between now and your 60th birthday? I one, would, one and a half? You know... <laughs> I just hope I'm able to cash the ticket or say I lost the ticket, okay? All right. So let me ask you this. Oh, I'm sorry. Finish your point. But the thing is, he was supposed to be back last week. And then two days before the game, they had to put him back in the hospital. So it was kind of like a team route. And again, this week, they're saying press box, most likely. He's coming back. And if you saw his press conference, I mean, it is something that's going to get that team pumped up. I mean, he said, this is Michigan week. You know, here's like a guy coming off yeah, his... Yeah, that's one thing. But I tell you, it's one of my reoccurring themes. These are human beings. This is a, these are real organizations that have to worry about things like what, uh, you know, what's going to be the pregame meal and you know, what are we going to do against that punt return. And this is a guy that can't be feeling 100%. His energy can't be there. And I, I, think it's a, I think I give it a couple points of value having their coach be incapacitated like this. I mean, I, I, as you look at it from a power ranking perspective, what kind of adjustment are you making for this coaching situation? Well, it's definitely going to be a factor that it's going to affect them. The fact that he, you know, they did it last week where the assistants you know, ran the stuff and they did it the week before as well because the Notre Dame game was two weeks ago. I don't think it's as much so of a disruption. A, this is the third game since the Notre Dame game? Yeah. All right. So you're saying they're used to it? 
Yes. Okay. It's a little less of a factor. Michigan, it seems like there's two ways to look at this. Oh, my God, this is a team out of nowhere, and they're really good. Or I was on ESPN LA actually on Tuesday, yesterday, and they were the host of the show, Mason and Ireland, were saying that they look at Michigan as a team that's won a couple of close games, and if they would have lost those games, a touchdown here, a touchdown there, no one would be talking about it. In fact, we might be talking about Rodriguez being fired. As a handicapper with your power ranking, how have you adjusted Michigan relative to your feelings before the season? Uh, there's no question that I've moved Michigan way up the ladder, and it's because, yes, you've got the close games, but Rodriguez has an offense right now that nobody has shown any signs of slowing down at all. The only time the offense slows down is if Robinson gets hurt, and that is a factor that, you know, anytime you're wagering on Michigan, you know, he is the whole team right now. And he's touching yeah, the ball. I mean, the odds of a quarterback being, I mean, if Tom Brady goes down. But the difference with Tom Brady is he's not touching the ball on 70% of the plays. This or guy's he, running. Or he's not taking hits on right. 70% of the plays. So. Okay. Um, Michigan State compared to early in the season, have they overperformed or underperformed in your mind? I think Michigan State's better than people anticipated. A little bit better. A little bit better coming Now, you didn't know this stat, but one of the things that I look at sometimes is what was the preseason line in this game? Mm -hmm. Because on the bigger games, they put a preseason line. This year, the Golden Nugget here in town was the first line out. And they had this game at three in July. So it makes sense that if you're saying Michigan State's a little bit better and Michigan's more than a little bit better, that now at four and a half, there's been a net one and a half point move off a key number two for Michigan's favor. It sounds like your power rankings are right on with the, uh, with the odds makers, so kudos on that. Okay, so what's your official projection in this game? I'm going to go with Michigan in this game, and you know I have them winning the game by 11. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I've got it at 37-26. These teams are going to go up and down the field. But, as, again, at the end of the day, I think what's going to be the difference in the game is the number of times that Michigan cashes in seven as to the times no, that... I heard that one. I got it. You got it. All yeah, right. That's so it. the one of the new things I started doing this week at pregameforums.com in our forums is I've been taking the AP poll and then I've been taking the oddsmakers poll, which comes out, and comparing who's overrated and underrated, because AP really is public perception, and oddsmakers poll is what Vegas thinks for the most part. And Michigan State came in as one of the most overrated teams. AP has them at number 17 in the country, and Vegas has them at number 30. So a 13 uh, point, or not point, but a 13 spot difference there, which, uh, which again, makes me want to lean Michigan here for sure. Um, the only other thing I would say is both teams are in bad spots when it comes to ATS-type trends. Michigan is only 4-12 and 12 ATS as a favorite. Not great. But Michigan State's only 2-7 and seven ATS as an underdog. So this is a team, neither of them are in a great spot for what they seem to excel at, which I would say is neutral then. Yeah. Any closing thoughts? With the stat on Michigan that you quoted there, remember that a lot of that stat is the last two years with Rodriguez when we talked about it at the beginning of the season. He was trying to run an offense that he didn't have the personnel for, and there was still but a it, bias to Michigan. As but he wasn't under, 
True, but he was underperforming in all spots. Four and twelve is particularly bad. Uh, and again, we're looking at profound teams. Where do they excel? You know, just think about it. When you shoot basketball or play golf or whatever, deep down you know I'm good at chip shots. I'm not good at long irons or whatever. You know your game. These these coaches know what their teams do well. When you really talk to a coach, when it's with off the record, they know when a team's in a good spot and a bad spot. We know, we don't have that inside information, but by looking at the ATS records, we can have an idea. You know, I've been preaching it two weeks, and I've been right two weeks. The Dolphins don't play well at home. We had a massive stat on it, and they've lost two weeks in a row at home. Now they could have won two weeks in a row, but when you look at over the court, and again, two and seven is not a lot of games. And that's the thing with trends. Sometimes you have a great trend. Sometimes you have a trend that makes you pause for a second. Uh, that causes me the slightest pause, but uh, I, I kind of lean your way with Michigan. All right, now it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comment section with me and Marco. And next up, we're going to be talking Florida State at Miami of Florida. Florida State at Miami. Marco, what should the batters be looking at? Well, I'll tell you what I'm looking at. I'm looking at a Miami of Florida team that I know I'm in the minority here in town, but I think they're overrated. Well, you make a good point. Is Actually, the odds makers believe both Florida State and Miami are underrated. It sounds like you agree on one and not the other. In the AP, Miami's 13. Vegas has them number 7 in the odds makers poll. And Florida State is 23 in the AP, and Vegas has them 12. So they look at both teams as underrated. Why do you think Miami's overrated? Well, I've got a couple reasons. First off, uh, Miami of Florida, the last two games, they've had you know, big wins. They had the Thursday night you know, marquee game on ESPN. They went into Pitt and you know, humiliated my Pitt Panther team. But they had such you know, great team speed advantage over Pitt, and that was the difference in that game, plus the fact that in the last two ball games. But wait, wait hold on a second. They had great. You just told me why they won. How does that in any way change anything? Well, they also benefited in the last two games by nine turnovers. All right, now we're getting to something. All right, they also, against Clemson, same scenario, a lot of turnovers in that game. And Clemson's another ball club, although more athletic than Pitt, huge speed advantage for the Miami of Florida right, team. So you're saying in a fundamental matchup, Miami is a very fast team. If they're playing a team that isn't so fast, they're going to be able to really exploit that. And, and your theory is against Florida State. That's not going to happen. These guys are recruiting the same type of players. They're, you know, Florida State gets those athletes. They get you know, athletic players with team speed. Uh, this game history, these two, they're always dogfights. Very close games. I think this is going to be another one of those. And I'm going to look to the points. And what drew me here, you always tell me that I look at the line and my immediate reaction when I see the line. Here's a Miami of Florida team. The stock right now is at the highest point of the season on them. You've got to agree with that. This is their first home game since the first week of the season. They've played all these other games on the road. Now they're returning home. Their only loss is to number two, Ohio State, and they've got them under a touchdown favorite. Okay. When you look at the Florida State game against Oklahoma, I made, I thought, a good point last week, which bore out, I think, in the Oklahoma-Texas game, that Oklahoma had dominated whenever the, in all games when it was competitive first three quarters. In the fourth quarter, they, they were dominated. And my theory was it was a lackadaisicalness in the fourth. The fact that they 
<laughs> or I don't know, they had trouble in the fourth against Texas too. Maybe there's just trouble in the fourth. But that Oklahoma team's mighty good. Does what Oklahoma show showed last week make you look a little more kindly on Florida State getting blown out at Oklahoma? It does to me as a handicapper, but as John Q. Public will look at the game, they're going to look at both of these teams had one big test. Florida State's mm. was Oklahoma. Miami of Florida's was Ohio State. And Miami looked better relative than Florida State. Absolutely. And you talk about these games being dogfights. To me, this is the key of the entire, and I really like this game the more I dig into it. This is the key to me of the game. Underdogs in the Florida State-Miami of Florida matchup have covered 10 of 11. Now, why is that? I think it's the bowl game scenario, which is when you have an entire month to hear about in the bowl games that you're the underdog. Underdogs typically do very well. I think these, they're playing guys that they played against in high school. They're playing guys they went to high school with. Whoever Vegas is saying, the pundits are saying, is going to lose the game comes in with extra motivation. 10 of 11 is nothing to sneeze at. Now, what you just said with that bowl game analysis, that is a very good point. And I want to point something out that normally this game is played Labor Day weekend. Most years, this is the first game of the season mm-hmm, for these mm-hmm, two teams. Mm-hmm. Where now we're playing it, you know, a month later. Last year it was that way too, playing it a month later. But I think that theory that you say applies even more to that stat whenever these games were the first of the season because the two teams the are lead up. Yep, that's an interesting point. A um, couple other points. I think this fact backs up your idea that Miami's got a little bit more of a premium on them right now. This preseason line was Miami minus four. So in July, you could bet this. Now it's up to six and a half. And those two and a half points, it's really about that Florida State game at Oklahoma. And it's really about Miami looking so good against Pitt, I think, is, is what's causing that two and a half points of value. And you make a good point. If what allowed Miami to dominate that pig game isn't pertinent here, you're get, it seems like you're getting a lot of value of Florida State. Another thing that I really don't like about Miami of Florida, I'm just not impressed with their quarterback, Jackery Harris. You know, I've watched the last two games. Obviously, I'm, I watched that pit game, you know, painfully. But uh, he puts the ball up into double coverage way too often. This guy forces too many throws. It's been part of his whole career. He hasn't shook it. Last week, they won, but he was only 13 of 33 against Clemson passing. Yeah. Before I get your official projection, one thing that does cause me a little pause with Florida State, they've only had one reception the entire season over 30 yards. So this is a team that's supposed to, a Florida team that's supposed to be built on speed. Something isn't clicking on the offense, which against a team as good as Miami causes me a little pause. I'd, I'm probably going to wait if I get seven on this and play it at six and a half. It's probably an opinion for me. Why don't you give us your official projection? I have it 28-27, and I have Miami of Florida winning by one. So obviously I'm going to take the points with Florida State. This is not my best bet. That's yet to come in the NFL. But we're going to give you a play on Florida State here. And what's your best bet record? 5-0. and oh. Now it's your turn to continue the conversation. And when you say 5-0, and oh, though, you mean 5-0 and oh on the video best bets you've given away for free. For free. And they're all on video now. You can't lie. You can't lie. It's your turn to continue the conversation in the comment section with me and Marco. And next up, we'll be talking about our last college football game, USC at Stanford. For the best deals from trusted sportsbooks, visit pregameaction.com. 
USC at Stanford. Marco, what should batters be looking at? The big question to start it is how Stanford going to react after last week's big loss to Oregon because that was so much hype leading into that game. But the good thing for them is... All right, so how do you think they're going to react? Positive or negative? It's got to be a negative at least coming out of the gate. You know, they, you could be that dull effort the first quarter or whatever and get the wake-up call. Fortunately for them, they're playing a Southern Cal team, and that's twofold. One, Southern Cal, you still have the name, no matter if they're down or up. It, they've been the king of the Pac-10 for so long. Which means Sanford's going to be motivated. That's going to help the motivation factor. And then we've got a situation with Southern Cal. They are playing with revenge. Stanford embarrassed them on their home field last year. They ran up the score 55-21, and they had a big lead in the fourth quarter and kept scoring. And that, you know, so the USC players are not going to forget that. But on the same token, Stanford's been the bully for so long in the Pac-10. You mean USC's been the bully? I mean, sorry, USC's been the bully for so long that I think that when teams have a chance to, you know, rub it in on this team, they're going, to take, they're going to take their shots because they've been on the receiving end for so many years. Okay, so let's, let's try to break down. You, you laid out a few points here. Stanford has a negative in their column based upon that tough loss at Oregon. Though I'm going to question, I know emotionally it's negative. My question is, well, let me ask you. Though they fell short of expectation because they didn't cover. That's what the line is, expectation. Do you, did you move Stanford up, down, or keep them the same in your power rankings after that game? I moved them down a notch, not, a, not way down because of the competition that they did play in that game. This Oregon team is very good. See, I disagree with that. I, I think Stanford played as well, if not slightly better than expected. I just think Oregon played so amazingly well that, that, that if anything... I think Stanford stays even in my power rankings and Oregon significantly improves. I hear what you're saying. The, the reason I did what I did is because the way the game went. If the game just, if I just look at the final score and say, okay, hey, they went to Oregon, Oregon's a great team, they had a 21 to 3 lead on the road and then just totally fell apart. See, there's two ways to look at that. One is, how amazing is it that they were able to get the 21-3 lead? So, and again, that's what's the beauty of handicapping is, is different opinions. So, let's power ranking, let's say you're the head handicapper here, slight downgrade for Stanford. But now, here's the question. Emotionally, it should, it, it's got to be a sense of, hey, we could have had this thing and we didn't. But now that other question becomes USC is such an important game and these Stanford kids are smart and they seem to be on a mission they got a coach that has a mission about them that I don't think they're too emotional I think they're going to be ready for the game they because it's USC I think there's more likely that they will be but you're the guy that always says about the goals if you start the season every team has a dream of the national championship although that's a very lofty goal. Stanford, I think the way the season was unfolding, might have started to believe a little bit of that. That's gone. So let's go to goal number two, the Pac-10 title. They're definitely in a big hole for that because the team they got to beat is Oregon, and if they finish in a tie both with one loss, Oregon has it with them. Yeah, I mean, it's just hard to think that 
and again, being up 21 to 3 might change this a little bit, but when you're on the road at Oregon and Oregon's ranked above you and you're, you're getting a touchdown in that game, it's hard to be too disappointed when you lose, though they were up 21 3. It's a complicated psychological situation. Then when you add up, add in that USC now is in historically underdog type situation and actually the Associated Press reached out to me and I did some research on this and I'm going to uh, share now. USC hasn't been a dog since 2007. They went to Oregon. So 2008 they weren't a dog. 2009 they weren't a dog. They, 2010 they haven't been a dog yet. They were a dog once in 2007. N- not a dog in 2006. Not a dog in <laughs> 2005. Once a dog or, or, I'm sorry, and then in 2004 they had been. So literally, since 2004, they've only been a dog twice. They haven't been a double-digit dog since 1998. So it's been 12 years since they were getting 10 points. What does that mean to this USC team? Does it mean, oh my God, we're being disrespected? Or does it mean, hey, we've been debunked, we're really not that good, and we're going to get our ass handed to us? You know, if from a motivational standpoint, if... If I'm looking at the game, I look at that as that is a positive for Southern Cal because the first time that somebody you know literally tells you you're not as you're not as good as you used to be, if you have any fight in you, you're going to bring your best game just to try to prove people wrong. And the fact that this is the first time that they are a dog, you know, you have that edge. But I will tell you this much: the early money on this game has all been Stanford, and you know. Being that USC is one of those marquee teams we always talk about and usually gets, you know, a little bit of a built-in advantage, Vegas has shown, you know, no problems with moving this line. Well, which means, let's think about this, you've got to figure that they believe they're going to get USC action at 10 come game day, so you've got to think that, that the amount of money being bet on Stanford to move this line is serious money right now, which makes me think if I could be laying less than 10, I might like Stanford here. Now, there's another reason I lean Stanford is the teams were profiled perfectly for a Stanford cover. Stanford's 12-3 and ATS at home. USC is 5-12 and ATS on the road. USC doesn't play well on the road recently. Stanford plays well, well at home. Another thing is Vegas actually believes Stanford's underrated. AP has them at 16 the odds makers poll has Stanford at 10, which is a, a pretty significant margin. So I, I think this may be a situation where at 7, I play Stanford really quick. And there was a few 7s out there very early. At 10, I'm not sure if, if, if USC's not the side, though I, I'm not anxious to play that. I actually have this game at 10. I'm, I'm on the fence, no play. I have Stanford winning by 10. And uh, 41-31, you're going to see points scored again. Nobody has really slowed this Stanford offense down. Oregon did in the second half, but let's see what happens this week with Oregon. It, or excuse me, with Southern Cal. Southern Cal's defense last week, Washington, and nobody's going to compare Washington's offense to Stanford's. Washington put up 536 yards on this USC team. And you make a good point. Stanford's probably going to want to run it up. If they're up 10 late, they're going to be looking to score. I think this, of all the games we've done in the last two years, I think the psychological end of this game is more complicated and there's more pros and cons on each side than any game I've seen. This is a great game for in the comments section of YouTube. 
specifically or in the forums at pregame, let's talk about how people look at the psychology of this. Good point. I mean, it, that's a major point in handicapping that too many people, you know, ignore. All right. Like I said, it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comments section with me and Marco. And next up, we're moving to the NFL. Green Bay at Washington. And this is Marco's video best bet of the week. Marco, what should we be looking at? Well, RJ, the knee-jerk reaction to the public is going to be McNabb's going to be flat this week after that big emotional game going back to Philly last week. I'm going to show you why that's wrong and why this game is the trap game of the week, and it's going to be my best bet. Okay, so you're saying McNabb is not going to be flat. Why do you think that is? Well, I think that having that satisfying win is going to carry over with him. It's going to give him added confidence. He's got a little sense of redemption going back to Philly, getting that win. And we do have, it's only a case study of one, but we have a case study just last year. Favre went to Green Bay, played his, you know, same scenario. First game that he played his old team was at. Okay, got it. And now what happened next? Favre, both times after the Green Bay game, he won both games, and he won the game after both times. Okay, and as you wa- and, and you think that this is applicable here? I think it's applicable here uh, with McNabb, and I'm going to go. I'm going to base this play. Why I say this is a trap? This game is two and a half. Green Bay is minus two and a half. If I asked you, RJ, right now, I'm going to give you three teams in the NFL, and I want you to rank these three teams right, right now in perception. The Dallas Cowboys, mm-hmm. the Houston Texans, mm-hmm. and the Green Bay Packers. Put them one, two, three for me. You know, this is weird because I, I guess I'd have to go Green Bay, Dallas, Houston just because of the way Dallas went on the road and beat Houston. Though I'm not so sure. I think Houston and Dallas might be tied and Green Bay's above both. Automatically, Green Bay's better than both of yes. those two. Thank or you. Or perceived to be. And, perceived and I probably to be. think they are. Okay. The Dallas Cowboys against Washington was minus three and a half at Washington. Houston at Washington was minus three. The Green Bay Packers are minus two and a half. Okay, now you make that's an interesting point. So value guys are going to say, "Hey, give me the value." As you like to say, Green Bay picked the winner. But you're saying, oh, no, no, the bookmakers are tempting you to play Green Bay, and I like one. I am probably one of the few handicappers that respect the odds maker, give them more respect. Most people think I'm better than, you know, when, and it, I'm not saying that that's right or wrong, but I say there's a reason all these casinos have nice lights and the big neon because the public loses. This is either the biggest mistake in the world or the biggest trap, and I'm going to classify it as a trap. Two and a half with Green Bay. Given what I've told you, I like it. And Green Bay's defense has been horrible this year. Last week they struggled with Detroit, a team that they should beat in their sleep. They only win 28-26. They're letting teams hang around. Shanahan and McNabb, I think right now they're going to ride last week's win, bring that momentum home. I'm going to call for the upset. And this reminds me very much of my New England jet game that I had earlier in the year when the line was soft like All right, this. So your, so your best bets, and we've talked about it on a few of the videos, 5-0 and so far this year on the videos, 5-0. and This is your sixth game. Give us your official projection. I've got Washington winning outright 30-24. to I do think it's going to be a high-scoring game, and I like Washington when it's all said and done to come away with the outright win. And I'll point one other thing out. 
The public has been all over this game betting Green Bay so far in the early betting, but the line has not budged off that two and a half yet. This is a, uh, and that brings up an interesting point. People, and, and I actually started a new thread called Inside the Line, and I broke down the Tennessee-Georgia game, and I showed minute by minute how the line moved, how the books reacted, and it's gotten a great response in the forums for anyone that wants to check that out. The, when people say, I trust the bookie, they're really saying two different things. There's the odds maker who suggests a line, and then there's a sports book that decides what line to offer the game at. So really what you're saying is, I think, you respect the books. If the books aren't moving, if the action's coming in one way and the books are sitting there and not moving to try to entice action on the other side, it means they like the action. And, and I think that's a very valid point. I personally trust the sports books, the bookies, a lot more than I trust the odds makers. I've been to Las Vegas sports consultants' offices. There's six guys driving Subarus in that place. <laughs> and, and they're smart guys, buddy. Don't worry. But six guys are not smarter than the syndicates, in my opinion, and not smarter than some of the really sharp books offshore. And really, there's only a couple books offshore that's dictating all this and a couple guys in town. You've got the M in town. You've got uh, Hilton and Cornegay. You've got uh, Jimmy Avello at the win. Those are guys that I respect uh, when it comes to taking a position here in town. Offshore, you've got Chris. And, and which is bookmaker also, and you've got Olympic. And that's, that's the five guys, and there's others for sure, but that's the five spots that are dictating the market. And it seems to me you're right, is this game looks really good for Green Bay, and you're saying the action's coming in on Green Bay, and they're not moving past two and a half. They want Green Bay. All right, let's take a minute and, and talk fundamentals for a second. Redskins are 4-12 and 12 ATS at home. Does that bother you? Again, we've got a different regime here now. So. Ah, interesting. Um, we had a great stat last week about quarterbacks returning after playing six-plus years in a stadium, and they were 6-1. and one. I think now they're 7-1. and one. It seems to me the public has seen that, and you would think there'd be a premium right now on – well, I guess that's the question is, do you think maybe the reason this line looks so low is in your mind you don't look at Washington as a really good team? Like you're saying, you know, relative to, um, you know, the way that the line was when Dallas came in and when Houston came in. But could it be that the public's saying this Washington team's a lot better than we thought? I don't think that they're going that way, and here's why. Last week's game, it wasn't like Washington went into Philly and ran away with the game. It was a 17-12 game, and there's a lot of people that are pointing out the fact, what would have happened in that game if Vic doesn't get hurt on the last play of the first quarter? It does diminish the win a little bit. It does diminish the win a little bit. Last point for me, and I'll let you close. I look at this Green Bay team as one of these old-school well, not old school, but back in the day, there was a lot of these teams. I, I th- I'm thinking of the Falcons off the top of my head. I'm thinking about Warren Moon's teams that had good quarterbacks, great receivers, usually had a spread-out offense, and just fundamentally, they didn't have good centers. They didn't have good left tackles, good middle linebackers. They were like, if you were a kid with trading cards, you wanted a lot of their players, but the, but the big uglies, as Madden calls them, were weak. I'm looking at this Green Bay team thinking 
that entering the season, I felt like that's who they were last year. But this year, they had, you know, the running backs were solid, their main back. Their line was better. It seems like the line's not doing much better for injuries or whatever reason. They've lost their running back. This feels like a team that's going to be uh, perpetually overrated because they have the glamour positions and especially the quarterback with Rodgers. But but the fundamental backbone of the team isn't quite a level. Is that your take? It is, and I think that's something that actually started in preseason because if you remember back in the preseason, Green Bay blew out all of their opponents in preseason and were scoring all those points. So people love offense. They they love offense. I think they're not. I mean, they're still one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl, and I don't think their performance shows that. They don't. And actually, Green Bay was my NFC pick for the Super Bowl. So. And I'm going against them this Sunday. All right, now it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comments section with me and Marco. And next up, we're going to be talking Philadelphia at San Francisco Sunday Night Football. For free real-time odds, lines, and scores, visit pregamelines.com. Eagles at 49ers Sunday Night Football. Marco, what should betters be looking at? The big question is how's Philadelphia react now losing Vic, having to go back to Cobb. Uh, one thing I'll say with Cobb, I'm not a fan of his. I, I didn't like him. I, I thought Vic was a better. So fit. it's downgrade with Cobb. It is the one. Is it Cobb or Colt? Last you, week you were saying Colt. Well, you corrected me, so now I'm going Cobb. All right, go ahead. All right. <laughs> and who's five and zero on this show? <laughs> All right. The thing uh, we're going to use a poker term though with Cobb is he's got a free roll this week because he's the starter by default. You know, he got benched, and then Vic got hurt, and now he's back See, in. I look at it the opposite. Wow. I look at it as you had your contingent saying, why go with Vic? Though the majority of, of Philly fans seemed to want to go with Vic, there was certainly the contingent that wanted to go with Cobb. And now it's like, let's see if you really can carry this team. I think the pressure's through the roof on him right see, now. See, I, I, we are totally opposite ends on that because see, I view it the other way. Well, let's, let's do, a, let's do a, a, a mind game for a second. Imagine it's three weeks from today. Philly goes 0-3 during that time, and, and Cobb's playing horribly. Can you imagine the Philly fans saying, you know, he really wasn't supposed to be the quarterback what did we expect keep trying buddy oh, no the philadelphia fans are going <laughs> to but, but even the espn guys but coming into this week one going on the road he doesn't have to deal with the boo birds in philadelphia so it's an advantage to be on the road in his situation absolutely definitely but, because there's more pressure booed? i mean when when they were at home and he came in in the second quarter right was he booed in he, that w- game? he wasn't booed but if you if he can if he has a bad game at home, and sometimes he's struggling. You just say you're, see, sometimes you should just say, RJ, you know something? That's why you're here, and you've got a good point. Is If anything, the pressure's higher right now. But well, Whenever the time comes that you are right, I'll, I'll be sure to say that. But this isn't one of them. But, but you did just, let's just make sure the listeners hear this right. You're saying that you would, you would actually like Philly more at the same line on the road than at home. That's that's an asinine statement because I agree. of that part of it. But I'm saying pressure-wise, pressure wise, it's easier for him to be on the road, away from the home crowd, the critics, the media, it, to be on the road where you're not expecting... They don't have internet in San Francisco? 
Ah, oh, you're something. See, you're, you're handicapping from the 70s, right? You're like, and, we're, and, we're and taking you, a train you know out. We're taking a train out west. Okay. And we, but here's the thing. Turn I'm off handi- the radio. How many people handicapping from the 70s are still sitting here handicapping? No, I, I, I agree. And, and, uh, okay. And most of the time I defer to you. It's just hard to imagine you don't think there's high pressure on cop. All right, so let's agree to this. If, if For the listeners out there, whoever thinks there's pressure on Cobb, you're going to handicap that as a slight negative for Philly. If you agree with Mar- the, the seven people that agree with you are going <laughs> to, they won't have anything else. Right, so let's move on. So w- what other factors? So you're, you're not a fan of Cobb, though. I'm not a fan of it, but I think th- if you set up one situation for him that gives him a chance to have his best game, it's being on the road, away from Philadelphia, the game after. They don't have any other choice. They have to use him. Now he can prove his critics wrong because they had to go it back It is an opportunity him. for him, but I, I think if he fails, I mean, let's just close our eyes for a second. A couple games go by, let's say, that Vic's out longer than we expect, and I've, I, you keep hearing different things on that. He plays really poorly. Vic comes back, starts playing decently. Where's Cobb then? If he doesn't play well now, I know where Cobb's going to be. He's going to be on the bench. The minute Vic is healthy, they'll give him the job back. But he's going to be on the bench and also not even – he's going to be considered a backup that they're probably going to have to trade a la Leonard where this is a guy that we gave a big contract to that, that we can't trust. Oh, there's no question. That, that seems like pressure right. to me. The best scenario could be is this guy gets in here, gets his second chance and plays well and just continues to play well, and they'll keep him all the way through. Moving – to a different subject, San Francisco, a lot of people, most people had him win in division, 0-4 right now. On a scale of 1-32, to 32, best team, worst team, where is San Francisco in your mind? From where they were at the beginning? No, of the no, no, no. Are they, are they the 16th best team, the 28th best team? Uh, well, they're, they're definitely in the bottom 10 the way they're playing right bottom now. Bottom 10, so from 22 to 32. All right, that's interesting because right now, amazingly, ESPN, which polls their experts, has San Fran is the 28th worst team, in the, or 28th best team, I guess, in the league. So there's only 29, 30, 31, 32. There's only four teams worse. I, I mean, is this an example of an overreaction? Now, the odds makers poll here in Vegas, they actually have San Fran at 21. So that's, they're one of the more underrated teams. You're saying between 22 and 32. So it's, it seems like you're in between. Where would you, where would you lean there between 28 and 21? Uh, I probably would have them higher than 28, but I wouldn't. I would have them probably in around 25, 26. Typical no, Marco, right in the middle. Right in the middle, because here's a team that they've they've had two close games. They've had you know two tough games. They played Atlanta, that they led the whole game until the final field goal. They had the New Orleans game. They could have won. New Orleans won on a field goal late in that game. As time expired, this is a team that's two plays away from two and two. The sad part is the division they're in is so poor. You're pretty psyched that you're screaming. I am. I'm pumped. We're ready. <laughs> you got you got me going. The uh, their division is so bad that even at zero and four, they're not out of this division. That's a good point. That's a good point. I'm always concerned when I see coaching upheaval is those coaches do a lot of stuff. When you're firing coordinators, that's usually a really bad sign. So I, I, I actually have a projection on this game. I'm going to take the projection. I think this is going to be a really run-heavy game. I think that the San Francisco coach is the type, Samurai Mike as he's called, is the type that is going to 
go to fundamentals when, tra- when trouble starts. I think they're going to run, run, run. And I think we can't lose sight of something. Reed, Coach Reed, is not his legacy, but his current standing in Philadelphia is somewhat connected to Cobb. This is a guy that traded McNabb. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that, that, that wouldn't, didn't want to start Vic till it was so obvious he had to. He has high motivation to protect Cobb here. And how do you protect someone, a quarterback, you run, and then you go play action. I think both teams are looking to go back to basics. And I'm going to project this game, San Francisco 17, Philadelphia 14, with a strong opinion towards the under. Any closing thoughts? I have it basically right on the number. In, uh, I have it as a three- or four-point game, so I'm going to have no official play here. All right. Now it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comments section with Marco and me. And next up, we're talking Monday Night Football, Randy Moss and the Vikings going to the Jets. Vikings at Jets, Monday Night Football, and it's the Randy Moss Show. Marco, usually I ask you what your batters be looking at. I'm going to tell the batters what they shouldn't be looking at first, which is I don't think they should be looking at the Randy Moss situation too much. One telling point here is once the trade was announced, the line didn't move. It was at four. Now, the line had already been bet down. It opened up five and a half, and the Sharps bet it down to four. So the Sharps liked Minnesota above four. That, that's clear. But what happened was when Randy Moss was announced, there really was no other line movement. Now, I think you might see some line movement later in the week. We're taping on Wednesday because a lot of the public is going to misperceive Moss's value with such short notice here. And I think it's a situation where if this line goes all the way to three, you might be looking at some real value on the Jets. So before you jump into your thoughts on the game, do you agree with me on the, on the line side? I agree, yeah. I, whenever I looked at the game and handicapped it, saw the trade, it had no factor for me in my but handicap. Be, but because of you just don't think Randy Moss matters or because of the, of the short amount of time before the game? Because of the short amount of time for the game. They but will you like Minnesota batter as a team for the next 10, you know, 10 plus games than oh, without Moss. Absolutely. All right. That's a key point. I, I do think this, though. There are, you, you know, Vikings are off of buying. You're going to talk about that. I think psychologically, this team's got to be excited. I mean, there was a point of, hey, you know, we're not winning here. And let's be honest, that Dolphins loss, where, where Dolphins went into Minnesota and beat them, looks worse now. Now that the Dolphins have lost two straight home games that was in the pick'em range, uh, that Dolphins loss doesn't look so good for Minnesota. I really got to think that the key to Moss this week might be the psychology of the team getting excited again. That's going to be a good point. And the other thing is because Moss is in the final year of a contract, you're going to get a Moss with something to prove. And we saw when he did go to New England, I mean, Moss, let's face it, he's had problems everywhere he's been. He's been a problem child. But when he went to New England, he wasn't until this final year where he didn't get shown any love, as you know he likes to put it, because they gave Brady a contract extension and didn't offer one to him. So he's going to be highly motivated the rest of the year, and that's good. It gives Favre another weapon. And now you just, op- just him on the field 
opens up the field. You've got two wide outs. Right, but it seems like you're preaching something that says we should be like in Minnesota here. Down the road. All right, so let's stick to this game. What's the other factors in this game? Well, I think you touched about the, the bye week. Normally, a bye week early in the season is not a great benefit because the team's not banged up yet. You, know, you need that extra week of rest and that. It's going to be a benefit to the Vikings, and that's because Favre came into camp late. He just started the season rusty. We saw it. He wasn't crisp. I think having that bye week, getting the extra reps, the practice time, you're going to see the best performance of Favre of the season so far. Even though he's going against a first-rate defense in the Jets, you're just going to have that timing down better in Christmas. I like the Vikings in this game. I also think that the Jets are a little bit... I don't know if we want to actually say overrated, but I will say they're definitely at the highest level perception-wise right now. Let's talk numbers with the Jets. ESPN's poll has them at number four. Vegas' poll, the oddsmakers' poll, has them at number ten. So Vegas thinks they're overrated. Jets, or excuse me, the Vikings are underrated according to Vegas. ESPN has them at 15 as like the middle of the pack. Vegas has them at four. So literally Vegas thinks Minnesota is the fourth best team. This is before the Moss trade. Mm -hmm. Minnesota, they think, is the fourth best team, and the Jets are the tenth best team. But the line opened up at five and a half because of public perception, and the Sharps seem to agree with the odds makers, and they bet this game down really fast. So I, I, I do think the value is on the Minnesota side, and a lot of that does have to go with the Jets being a little bit overrated. I, One of the other reasons that the Jets... I feel, or in the public eye so much is because that's just it. They've been in the public eye. They've been on national TV almost every week. This is their third primetime game. They've had two Monday night games and a Sunday night game, and one of their two regular games was New England, which was the national 4 o'clock feed. And that the week. fact that they're winning is what people are seeing. And they didn't look so... It's funny the way that the Jets nation overreacted to that Baltimore game. They didn't look so bad that first game. I mean, it was a close game, clearly. All right, any other factors? Nope. I have Minnesota actually winning this game outright. 20 to 17. All right, so this is your early week. It's Wednesday, your early week projection. And give us that score one more time. Minnesota 20 to 17. All right, now it's your turn to continue the conversation in the comments section with Marco and me. And next week we're going to be back with a whole new slate of the biggest betting games, and we'll be breaking them down for you.